0: All right, I I do I don't talk about this a lot on Sundays, mostly because you hear about it all week long, but also because I just believe in a greater hope. I mean, honestly, in Jesus' day, the government was worse than it is today for us. Uh, the Romans and what was going on there is way worse than it's today. Not that I want it to go that way, but it was worse. And Jesus spoke about it sometimes, but mostly he spoke what he heard the Father saying, and he did what he heard the Father doing because he was on commission on a mission to do what he was called to do. And uh, there's a greater, there's a greater thing going on. But we can handle, God can handle both at the same time, Amen, Amen. All right, any other announcements we need to make mention of before I go into my message today? All right. Well, before I went, we went to Uganda. I started a series on law and grace, and my purpose was to answer the question: Are we under the law, or are we under grace, or are we a mixture of both, or what? And we looked at questions like: When was the law given? Who was the law given to? Who was the law intended for? Were the Gentiles ever required to be under the law? And what does the New Testament say about the law? And why was the law given? Or what was the purpose of the law? I looked at a lot of different questions over a bunch of different weeks. And I intended to go over a few more questions, but now I feel like God's shifting things in my heart. But I just want to touch on them lightly, was did Jesus come to abolish the law? How did Jesus fulfill the law in the right way to use the law? I was going to cover those things too. I do have those in my book. If you haven't read it yet, if you want to copy those, I did cover those in detail. Each one, I think, has a chapter on that. But uh, today, I'm just going to briefly touch on it, then move on to something else. But the first one was, did Jesus come to abolish the law? And the answer to that is no, okay? Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. There's a difference between abolish and fulfill, okay? So how did Jesus fulfill the law? I believe he did this in two ways. One, he fulfilled the law by making it even harder. You know, I've, never, I've still never heard anyone teach this but me. So I will say that as a, as a precursor. I haven't heard it or read it anyone but me. I hope the God more people teach it than me. But this is how I see it. So if it's heresy, I don't believe it is. Because the purpose of the law is to expose our sinful condition and our need for a Savior. And what Jesus did, especially you look at, this, at the Sermon on the Mount, he made the law even harder. You, okay, you've heard it said this way. I tell you, you look at a woman lustfully, you need to, cut, you need to gouge out your eye. If, you're, if your right hand caused you to sin, chop it off. Now, if we believe Jesus is Lord and we believe that uh, every word he said was from the mouth and heart of God, then why aren't we seeing a lot of people in churches with one eye and one hand? All right? All right? All right, okay. So, I mean, obviously he meant something. What I believe he was doing is he was He was making the law even harder so that it would show us our need for a Savior and that's fulfilled the purpose of the law. And secondly, how Jesus fulfilled the law was... Uh, was he obeyed every part of the law. He obeyed and completed every law, of it, uh, part of the law and all the prophecies, and he's the only person who ever fulfilled all of the law, and he's the only person who ever will complete and fulfill all of the laws. No one else ever to be born or ever was born could ever fulfill all of the laws in the, in the Bible, 613 of them. And if anyone tells you that they can, they are greatly deceived and are missing the whole purpose of the law, the whole missing the whole power of grace. They're missing the whole gospel message. Because that's why Jesus came, was to take us out of this uh, uh, law situation into a grace situation. Okay? So, um, we need to know that. And third, again, just briefly, the right way to use the law. What is the right way to use the law? Well, let me show you this in 1 Timothy 1, 8-10. It says, But we know the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person. Do you see that? The law isn't made for the righteous. But for lawless, but for the lawless, the insubordinate, for the ungodly, and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers, murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, the law was made for them. Okay. So Jesus didn't come to uh, abolish the law and makes, there's no such thing as laws anymore. No, there is a place for the law, but the righteous don't need the law anymore. The, lo- the righteous are led by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is not going to lead us into breaking laws and doing these things, okay? Verse 9 said, the law was for lawbreakers and rebels and not for the righteous. And secondly, it says, if the, lo- the law is good if one uses it properly. So the law is good if one uses it the right way. But if one uses it the wrong way, it is not good, because the letter kills, the spirit gives life. Anytime you're put under the law, it's going to kill you spiritually. It, it kills the spirit, the letter of the law, like, well, it says this, 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 and this, and get the letter of it, not the heart behind it. You have to know the author of the book to get the heart behind the book, and the reason for these things. And the letter kills, but the spirit of God gives life. The spirit of God is the spirit of grace. Amen. We need to be thankful, praise God, that God is a God of mercy and grace. Amen? Amen. Or we might as well stop coming to church because we'd all be in big, big trouble. Amen? There's no one that, no one is deserving of the good gifts of God that he's provided for us. So the right way to use the law, uh, I want to look at that. First, it depends on if you're referring to, for righteous people, the right way to use the law for righteous people, or the right way to use the law for lost people. Okay. We'll look at the lawbreakers and rebels first. If they're guilty of committing a crime, the right way to use the law is for them to be judged accordingly. Then to be punished and judged according to breaking the laws of this land, or the, not, not that we punish, but we have police officers for that, we have legal system for that. The law of the land and the law of and the, and the law in the Bible, they uh, overlap. Let's, let's just stop for a second and pray for that situation. God, we thank you uh, for your mercy and grace. We, will, we pray for that family the person in need, that uh, that ambulance is going to help. I pray for the, the medical staff and the people helping the first responders and just bless them, protect them, save them in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. So uh, the Bible says in Romans thirteen four, for the one in authority is God's servant for your good. Now, it may not feel that good at the time if you're the one that's doing the bad stuff, but it says, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword, for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. So there is forgiveness and mercy for the wrongdoer, but there's also consequences for hurting people. There's consequences for hurting people. And, uh, and so God's saying here in the Word that He has a system set up in place to bring punishment on them. The end goal is res- uh, reconciliation. The end goal is uh, for them to be redeemed to Christ. But if they break the law, the Bible says they should be judged and they should be punished accordingly to how they broke the law. That is that's still that's still for today. Uh, th- uh, and we praise God for mercy and forgiveness, and they can be forgiven, but they might have to have some consequences for what they've done. Right? You agree? If not, we have to go to the defund the police thing. Right? And we're we're never going to go there. That's just foolish. God has ordained this in in his word. That if we break these laws, there's punishment. You know how many people got saved in prison? There's many people in heaven today that never would have been there without the prison system. Without getting alone with God. They're trapped in their cell and they can't do anything. And all of a sudden, God comes down and speaks to them, minister to them. They give their life to Christ. And then some of them get out, some of them don't. And some of them preach the gospel. And so we need these things for the safety of the community, but we need it for their good too. Amen. Amen. So another right way to use the law um, for the righteous person is we can see this in Luke twenty four twenty seven. In beginning with at Moses or the law, in all the prophets, he expanded to them, expounded to them all the scriptures of things concerning himself. This is Jesus on the road to Emmaus with the disciples. Beginning with the law of Moses and all the prophets, I would have loved to have been on that walk that day. I mean, it was a two, three-hour walk, seven, eight miles or so. They're walking, talking. All the scriptures that talked about him in the Old Testament. New Testament wasn't written yet. And he's expanding on it. This is talking about the Messiah. This is talking about the Messiah. This is talking about the Christ. This is the Christ. And telling him how he must suffer on the cross, how he must be pierced, how he must be, all those things. And the right way to use the law for righteous people is to show people all the law and the prophecies of the Old Testament were pointing to the Messiah, which pointed to Christ. That's the way the law was used in the New Testament. That is the right way. Amen? That's how we're to use it. So That's my quick summary of those questions today. I want to move on and look more at the, on the grace side now. Things have kind of looked at what what we're not. I want to look at now who we are, what we really are. So show you this first. I want to read Romans 6.14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Man, I, I this one scripture I just feel like a almost like an explosion in my spirit, like, mmm, like a for you, for sin shall not have dominion over you. Why? Because you're not under law, you're under grace. When you were under the law, sin had dominion over you. Now that you're under grace, sin does not have dominion over you. It doesn't matter what sin it is. It doesn't matter what addiction it is. It doesn't matter what title is given. There's no name under heaven given to man, uh, uh, except we would be saved by Jesus. Every knee must bow. You are not in law. Sin will not have dominion over you. Amen? Okay. You say, but it, if it does, well, guess what? Then you need to have to walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. And that's something we're going to be looking at and going through, but um, think about this. What does it actually mean to be under grace? You know, we have some preachers out there that maybe take it too far, some that don't take it too far, take it far enough, and everywhere in between, and, uh, and some pre- want to keep it balanced, they have this mixture of law and grace going on, and they're doing it in their mind to probably honor God, I'm guessing, but in reality, the grace of God is the only thing that gives you the power to change. You know, you hear in TV shows and different movies and shows and stuff all the time, you hear people say, I just don't believe people ever change. You know that per, uh, my experience is nobody ever changes. And guess what? When you're under the law, there will be no change. You might find a good help program. You might find some stuff, but the heart issue of you of your issue is never going to change because it's the grace of God only that can change your heart. The law didn't have the power to do that. No law can, but the grace of God does. And so, to me, the more we preach the love and grace of Jesus, the more you're going to naturally change to become glo- from glory to glory to become more like Christ. Then we stand up here saying. Gabe, you need to stop doing that. Jordan, you need to stop doing that. Lori, you need to stop doing this. I heard about you down the road that night. You need to stop doing that. And guess what? There is absolutely zero power for you to change by me shaming you. By shaming you or embarrassing you or making a public thing of it. There is zero anointing, zero power in that. And Jesus himself never did that. He sometimes took him to the side. The woman caught in the adultery, what did he do? He protected her. Was she guilty? Yes, she was guilty, and so was the guy who was nowhere to be found, all right? But he protected her, and then he forgave her, Said he didn't condemn her, and then he said, go and sin no more. He dealt with both, but he powered her with grace to change, amen? Not condemnation. So what do we know about grace? We know from the Bible, we know from our experience at church that there's hundreds of songs about grace, hundreds, I mean, maybe thousands, I don't know, like Amazing Grace, right? Everyone loved that one, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, saved a wretch like me, not a wretch that you are now, a wretch like you were, right? Saved a wretch like me, I once was lost, but now I'm found, I was blind, but now I see. What's some of your favorite ones that you can think of of, about grace, some of your songs you know? Trying to think now, I'll give you a second, I know, I I thought about it for a while, you guys are thinking about it like right now, but it's okay, I, I took the easiest one, didn't I? Yeah, who said that? Oh, yeah, yes, I love that one, too. Yes, I was singing that the other day in my heart. It's grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all my sin. Amen, 100% true. Amen. Love that song. Sing that. Growing up a lot. Anyone else think of one? Wonderful Grace of Jesus. Jesus. There's the other amazing grace one, My Chains Are Gone, the Chris Tomlin version of it. Love that one too. And uh, they're just beautiful songs about grace, but what is grace? What is it? And so uh, we know that grace is good. We know that grace came from God. And we know that Jesus was full of Grace. Okay, I'll show you this in John 1, 14. It says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He was full of grace and truth at the same time. So Jesus was filled with grace and truth, and again, grace is good, and grace is from God, and Jesus was full of grace, but what is grace? So I want to look at this with you guys over, I don't know, probably X number of weeks, I'm not sure yet. But just talk about this because grace changes our lives, and I—I I mean, I've talked to people, and I—I I felt this way myself. I was—I felt like that grace wasn't enough because I had to add to God's. I—I I wouldn't think of it. I wouldn't think about that. Like Jesus wasn't enough, or His sacrifice wasn't enough. But I would think that it was grace plus my works, or grace plus my lack of sin our grace, plus these other things, and that made me enough. But it's 100% not true. And you can't find it in the Bible. It's religion. It's man-made. Myself invented this. those thoughts in my own brain, and I heard it maybe from someone else. I don't know. But it is. It's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is enough. And it's always been enough for you and for me to save the dirtiest, filthiest, rotten sinner like Paul said he was, to transform his life and it changed our lives. The person you think of, your family member, your, the one that you think of that's just, well, he's just too far gone. There's no hope for him or her. It's a lie. It's a lie. And we just need to come out of agreement with that lie. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is powerful. Amen. So uh, I uh, asked this question on Facebook just the other day uh, Give me your definition of grace. What, what, how would you define it? And I had several responses. I'll read some to you. Debbie Edwards said, it is God's um, unearned, undeserved, unconditional love and ability to work on my behalf in each situation of my life, which is very good. I'm t- great. I'm, the reason why I'm sharing this with you is sometimes grace is hard to define. It's sometimes easier caught than taught kind of thing. Another guy put uh, a new heart, which is true. i kind of vague. There's still a little more to it than that, but yeah, that's that's definitely true. We got a new heart. Um, another one said grace is everything you need when you need it Another one said this one's from Uganda a, a gas or a fuel that drives the born-again kingdom that without it nothing can work work out for good I like that's cool um, This one was from actually from England the boundless unearned power to overcome everything we couldn't without it. This one's from my niece uh, Robins sister, Robin's daughter, <laughs> excuse me, the guy, boy's cousins, Lord's cousin, receive receiving something we don't deserve, but is given anyway because of how much we are loved. I like that from a 20-something-year-old, whatever she is now. I guess he's your age, Jordan, right? Um, and then last but not least, uh, God's riches at Christ's expense, which means we've received the riches of God through Christ's expense. So all of us have experienced grace, I believe, to some degree. Growing up, I, I mean, for me, I started working at church in 2006 in Virginia, and I remember them singing this song, "Your Grace Is Enough," and it irritated me. It annoyed me. Like, what? They just think they can live whoever way they want to, and and then that's okay. And I just, I was, I never, I never told the pastor I thought this. I definitely told Holly. I don't know if I told anybody else, but it was deep down. I had this annoyance in my heart that. That's not enough. You still have to act right. You still got to do this. You still got to do that. You can't just do whatever you want. And the song, you know, didn't say all those things that I was putting in there. It just was proclaiming that Jesus' grace is enough. Amen? It is a good song, but at the time, it was annoying me. (laughs) Just telling the truth. I want want to show you that um, the grace of God is sometimes hard to define because grace is not a theology. Grace is the nature of God. It's just the nature of how he breathes, how he lives, how he moves, who he is. The first mention of grace in the Old Testament is found in Genesis 6-8. It says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Amen. Remember that, Gerald? I'm thinking of the same thing, too. Our video we did years ago. If you guys haven't seen it, it's on YouTube. It's awesome. Look up, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You'll see Gerald dancing around and and being really funny. That has almost 1,000 views now, I think, Gerald. But anyway... um, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But the word grace in the Hebrew language means kindness, favor, acceptance, freely for nothing, or to grant a favor. So Noah found kindness, acceptance, and favor in the eyes of the Lord. And you know that you did too? You did. You found kindness, acceptance, and favor in the eyes of the Lord. You did. It wasn't because... Uh, Noah was perfect, and it wasn't because you were perfect. It's because God is gracious and compassionate. Amen. The first mention of grace in the New Testament is found in Luke two forty, and it says this: "And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him." The word "grace" now in the Greek language in the New Testament is the word "charis." That's where Andrew Wommack gets his Bible college name from. But the word means uh, the word has many meanings and applications. I studied a bunch of different. Bible dictionaries and commentaries, concordances and stuff like that, just trying to get a, def- a definite, what does this word mean? And I still can't tell you one answer because it has so many meanings and applications. But I, I wrote some of these ones down. I, I, I like all these ones. But it's a, it's a massive compound word. Uh, one definition was divine influence upon the heart. I thought it was called cool. divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in your life. Cool. Another one that which affords joy, pleasant, a uh, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, loveliness, and grace of speech. Another one, um, goodwill, loving kindness, and favor. Uh, some of these sound really more technical than others, but this—excuse me—the spiritual condition of one governed by the power of divine grace. Don't you love it when they define a word and use the same word? Like, okay, I'm trying to look up the meaning of this word and use the same word in the word. I'm, that's, that's not helping me. But anyway, it said, the spiritual condition of one governed by the power of divine grace. So you, look up, uh, like you look up grace and says, to be gracious. Well, thanks a lot. That was really helpful. Another one meant um, is thanks or to give thanks for benefits, services, or favors. And it's like uh, when people give thanks, it says, let us say Grace. Let's give grace. So let's give thanks. The word, one of the means, it actually means to say thanks. And actually, it's very commonly used in the New Testament as a greeting. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. It's in many chapters, many verses in the Bible. It's probably the number one, I think it's the number one way it's used in the Bible. The word grace is grace to you, peace to you. Now, the root meaning of grace is to be cheerful, calmly happy, of or well off, to rejoice, be glad, especially as a salutation when meeting or parting, be well or to thrive. I say be well, it means like to thrive or grace to you, thrive. I want you to thrive. I like that. That's really good. Uh, More meanings from the root word. A spiritual endowment endued with with special honor to make accepted or to be highly favored. I'll read that one again. A special endowment endued with special honor to make accepted and be highly favored. Guys, that's who you are. It's who you are. And the last one here I have here's here here is a a a gift of grace, a favor which one receives without any merit of his own. It's like you said, God, will you do me a favor? He goes, Yeah, son, what is it? Would you forgive me? Oh yeah, you got it. All right. Well, thanks for doing me that favor. But it's so much more than just that. It's so much more than that. So to summarize this, it's uh, from the Old Testament and New Testament, it's kindness, favor, and acceptance. A favor which one receives without any merit of his own. I want, I want you just to put your heart at ease and put your works to the side for a minute, okay? The love of God will motivate you to do more good works than your flesh ever could. And it won't be done through fear, it won't be done through manipulation. It won't be done to look good in the community. It won't be look like, I'm the holier than now. I'm the best Christian I know. It'll be done because the love of God so compelled you, it moved you to serve this person. It moved you to give to this person, not let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. It moved you to do these works of the kingdom because the love of God so touched and moved you, you want to bless somebody else. That's real change, and real change only happens through the grace of God. Amen. In the same way, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, we have found grace, kindness, favor and acceptance in the eyes of the Lord without any merit of our own. Amen. Amen. Does't matter if your name's Abraham, doesn't matter if your name's Paul. There's not one thing Paul did that earned him heaven. There's not one thing he did. The writing of the scriptures, all nothing. It was the grace of Jesus, the power of Jesus. I'm going to show you Ephesians 2.8. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Your salvation is a gift. It's a gift. And it's a gift of grace. So um, grace is a gift from God, and the, the, uh, the grace gift saves us. God's grace saves you. It saves us. Amen. So one of the things we have to stop doing is trying to earn our salvation when we've already been accepted and beloved. We've already been saved. We've already been forgiven. We've already been saved by His act of grace. We've already been saved. We don't have to keep trying to be saved. We don't have to try, try to keep doing something that God Himself already did for you. We have to have faith in His grace, faith in what He did, and then it becomes manifest in your life. Amen? I'm telling you, I'm telling you this because it's I'm, I'm making it as simple as I know how, because it's so easy to get this messed up. If it hasn't been, how do we all mess it up over the years? Every one of us had to learn this. does not matter what church you grew up in or whatever. You have to learn this through revelation knowledge of Jesus, that you're loved, you're forgiven, and you're accepted, and God is not counting your sins against you. And he gave us that ministry of reconciliation that he's not counting sins against the world. Now, we count them against the world sometimes, and they count them against us. But God's not. He's forgiven them. Now, they have to still receive it and all that. Well, that's another part of salvation, but God is not angry at you. You may have done some things that you are absolutely embarrassed of, ashamed of, that make you cringe just thinking of what you said, did, or whatever. But God himself, he's not angry at you. He's forgiven you and paid the penalty for that. So my question is, how does the grace of God that we are now under uh, how does that save us? How, what does it do? And what does it look like? How does it impact our lives? We're going to look look at those things over the next so many weeks. But I had this thought. This is, might be profound and quite simple at the same time. If we are under grace, then it means grace is over us. Is that too deep? It's kind of like a blanket, you know? If you're under the blanket, then the blanket's over you. So from, from now, we're not under the law. The law is not over us. It's not ruling over us. Now we're under grace, so grace rules over us. Amen? Grace of God rules over us. Praise God, and I'm very thankful for that. Amen? So um, we need to know what the gift of God's grace does in our life and, and, and how to define it, what it means. We need to know that because it affects how you live every day. It affects how you believe, think, and act. I want to show you something, another thing grace does. Romans 3.24 being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So we've been saved by his grace, and you've been justified freely by his grace, the grace of Jesus. So the easiest way to remember the word justified, what it means, this is a a pastor's quick version that kind of help you remember it, but it's just as if I'd never sinned. So by the Spirit of Grace, God's power made your newly born again, new created spirit man, just as if you'd never sinned in your lifetime. When you're born again. You're born a sinner. You're born into sin. We all were, but when we were born again into the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of light, in the kingdom of his son Jesus Christ, when we were born again into the life and love of God, your newly created spirit man as if you never sinned in your lifetime. That's how Paul gets saved from this thing. I have no regrets. I have no life. I'm like, how could he say that? He must have been talking about a spirit, man, because he definitely had lots of things he did wrong in his flesh. And not just before he gets saved and after. Okay? Uh, I'm sure. So anyway, when we are born again, our newly created, I'm going to say this again, our newly created in Christ, the new creation rebirth, it's just as if you'd never sinned in your entire lifetime. So when we go to God sometimes, talking about the things we've done, bringing up the past and stuff, he's like, don't you know my word? Don't you know the scripture? Don't you know what grace means? You've been justified freely by my grace. It's not that your actions were justified, it's your life has been justified. Amen? Amen? Amen. Not that your actions, my actions didn't date. My actions were justified by His grace. It said my life was justified by His grace. Amen. So it is freely because it cost us nothing but it cost Him everything. But we have been justified freely by His grace. Amen. So we've been saved by grace and justified by His grace. I want to show you what it says in Ephesians one six, To the praise of the glory of His grace by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. How is it again? By the praise of the glory of His grace. He made us. You can't make yourself accepted. You can work all day long trying to be good enough to please this family or this group or this church group or this pastor or this leader or this someone to make them think you're whatever. But you can never be uh, accepted in the beloved except by the grace of God. And it takes faith to believe this. Amen? To the praise and glory of his grace, he made you when you were born again, not when you did enough good works. When you were recreated in Christ Jesus, your spirit man is now perfected forever, sanctified, and truly holy. The word of God says, I'll show you that in weeks to come. But he made you accepted in the beloved. That word accepted is the same word that Gabriel used when he spoke to Mary. When he said, uh, Hey, Mary, (laughs) I'll use my version. Hey, Mary, you're highly favored but you're highly favored. You are now highly favored and accepted in the Beloved because of the grace of God. So if you are, why not accept it? If you're saved by grace, you're justified by grace, you're accepted by grace into the Beloved, why not accept it? You know, God's not holding you back out here. You're holding yourself back out here if you are because of pride and ignorance. Just being honest because I love you. It's humility to believe what God says about you is true, even when you don't feel it. It's humility to humble yourself under God's word when your mind's trying to tell you something else is true. God is smarter than us, amen? And if he, he's righteous in declaring the sinner righteous, and he did this work by his grace, then we need to accept it, amen? And when we accept the work of Christ, we naturally start changing from glory to glory to become more like him. As we behold him, we become like him. Amen? Amen. So the same way Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord and that grace saved him and his entire family from death and the flood, we have found grace in the eyes of the Lord that saves us from spiritual death and I'm sure physical death many different times where God's protected us from accidents and stuff. You have found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And guess what? It wasn't because you did something special. It was because Jesus did something special for you. God valued your life so much God valued you, the person, so much, more than your behavior, more than your works. He valued you so much. He sent his son Jesus to die in your place that he could give you that gift of grace. He could give you that gift of acceptance and salvation and justification. He could give you that as a gift, the gift of righteousness, the gift of all the things about the gift of faith, all those things that uh, all the gifts of God are are of grace. We would never be good enough. If I had Wally Wise here today, pastor here 20 years, he was here today. Uh, Pastor here, again, 20 years, great, a righteous man. I mean, in it, well, <laughs> he's, a, he's a good guy. I don't know why you say it. He's righteous by faith, but he, wouldn't, he would tell you the same thing. I didn't earn anything. And it took him faith, humility, and um, falling on his face in front of God to accept the goodness of God that, you know what? I just am who God says I am because God said it. And when you start believing that is when your life will start being transformed from glory to glory. Philemon one six. I don't have this in my notes. So I just do it from memory, but uh, it basically says, if you if you you will grow spiritually, your faith will become effectual as you acknowledge the good things that have already been put in you. It doesn't your faith in Christ. Your faith doesn't become effectual by doing all of these other things to try to earn something with God. Your faith, your spiritual life, will become effectual as you acknowledge what Christ already did on the inside of you in your born-again spirit. Do you know God lives in you? He must kind of like you because he's hanging out with you a lot. All right? He's there. He's 24-7 there, okay? He's more than your, your spouse, more than your closest friend. He's there. He likes you. He loved you. He saved you. He justified you. He forgave you. He accepted you in the beloved. He's with you, and he says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you, and it's a work of his grace, not a work of any man could boast about. doesn't matter who they are. They can't boast about it. So, by the grace of God, we are freely justified and accepted in the beloved without any merit of our own. You know, uh, people can say greasy grace, they can say whatever grace, and they can make it all sound good, and, or make it sound bad and twisted. The grace of God doesn't say, you just stay the way you are, I'm going to love you anyway. Just like a parent, right? A parent. We love our kids, but they need correction. The grace of God empowers you to change. If it didn't empower you to change, there'd be no difference from the Old Testament to the New Testament. There'd be no difference. But the grace of God empowers you to change. But you don't change by working harder at trying to develop a new habit or whatever. You change by acknowledging what God has already put on the inside of you. It's not doing more. It's trusting more. It's believing God more. It's speaking the word more. Like, I am dead to sin and I am alive to Christ. You think you speak death over this issue of sin in your life, and you say, I am alive to Christ. I'm going to walk in the Spirit of God. And I'm telling you, this is not philosophy. This is not reasoning. This is the gospel. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ saves you, delivers you, redeems you, frees you from any addiction or sin. It's the power of God unto soterior, unto your salvation, unto your deliverance, unto your forgiveness and healing. It's the power of God, and it's not by works. It's from believing and receiving by grace and faith and humility. You don't have to stay bound to anything. Not food, not lying, not Cheating, stealing, whatever, swearing, whatever issue or struggle you might have, with some kind of addiction to pornography or whatever, sin is dead. I'm going to show you this more in scripture later uh, another day. Um, but because Christ died for you and rose again, sin doesn't have dominion in your life anymore. Remember that? What has dominion in your life now? Grace. And grace is God's power to change grace is over us. We are under grace and grace is over us and it gives us the power and ability to defeat the works of the enemy in our lives. Your spirit is perfected forever but your flesh sometimes has to work things out. How do you work it out? By walking in the spirit. You walk in the spirit you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. I'm going to show you what it means to walk in the spirit. It's not spooky. It's not weird. You just believe what God said is true. It's believe what God said about you is true. It's walking by faith, not by sight. Amen? So we're going to look at more of that later. But speaking of grace, behind me is the table of grace. I mean, how could anyone ever earn the right to take, partake of the Lord's body? You can't. Nobody could. No one could say they're worthy to do this. It's a faith thing. It's a grace thing. But Jesus made, because he forgave you, he saved you, he justified you, he accepted you into beloved, you're now part of his family. He said, I want you to partake of this spiritual meal, because it because it's a blessing to you, and it blesses his heart as we have faith in what he did for us. We're proclaiming the Lord's death, the Bible says, until he comes. Obviously not proclaiming that he's still dead, that there was no resurrection. We're reclaiming the power of his death is the power of his also his resurrection, and our resurrection from death of spiritual death, where we're reclaiming that d- sin is dead and now we are alive unto Christ. Amen. Amen. So I want to ask the elders to come forward to prepare the Lord's table. I'm going to share a little bit about the Lord's table with you guys and we'll t- take it together as a family. You know, I used to be really afraid to take communion growing up and I'd wonder, what's that... What's that? why is that table got a blanket on it today? What's that white sheet all about? What's under there? And I'd sometimes go to peek and like, get out of there, Ryan, don't be touching that. You know, the pastors get out very snoopy, nosy, or curious, I like to say, the word I prefer. <laughs> and anyway, and uh, like, get out of there, like, well, what's it about? And often you'd hear the pastor say, you know, to examine yourself to see if you're worthy to partake of this table. And uh, I know they meant well. I'm not not thinking of any pastor in my mind. I really am not. But how do you do that? How do you honestly examine yourself? And how do you determine if you're worthy enough to take this? What prideful arrogance would you have to come up with in your mind to make that decision? Like, okay, well, I didn't lie today. I'm pretty sure I did yesterday, but I didn't today. And I know I didn't do this wrong today. And I was kind to my sister today. I did, okay, I must be worthy to accept it. Do you see how that's just so laced with religion? You and I do not have the ability to examine ourselves to decide if we're worthy or not, but God does. And God did pre-examine you already. And by the work of his grace, he said, you're saved, even just as if you'd never sinned. You're now accepted to my beloved. You are worthy to take my... His children, it is the children's bread. He said, this is for you. This is my covenant broken for you. My body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Nowhere does it say do this in remembrance of your sin. Nowhere does God ever say to remember your sins. Not one verse in the Bible does say to remember that. He does say to forget them. He's thrown it in the sea of forgiveness as far as the east is from the west. That's as far it's been removed from you. You do not honor God by remembering your sins. You honor God by remembering your salvation. You honor God by remembering what he did for you on the cross. Remember, you're justified freely by his grace. You honor God by believing his word, and it transforms our lives. When you take this table today, I want you to remember sin is dead in you. It has no spiritual right to exist in your life anymore. And I know you've heard other things, but I'm telling you, it's just not true. The gospel is the power of God to transform you, to save you, deliver you. Anywhere there's no hope is a stronghold and a lie. They said that this stronghold is greater than God, and it can't be true. It just can't be true. Amen? Amen. So when we take this table today, I don't want you to remember your sins. And God does not want your sins. What kind of a good parent would want their kids to remember their sins? Well, you know, when you were four, you know, you used to mess, you used to make a really big mess in the bathroom or whatever. So now you're not worthy to come to the supper table tonight because you just made mom and dad do so much extra work. Oh, you know when you were 13, or when you were 16, or you were 17, you did this, this, and this, and this, so you are unworthy to come home for Christmas. What kind of a sick parent would that be? Yet religion tells you that you're going to honor God by remembering your sins when the Bible tells you the complete opposite of that. See, they're trying to control the, the scenario that you don't live in sin. They think by preaching grace you're going to live in sin, but the problem is the opposite is true. The more we preach the law, the more you live in sin because the law empowers you to sin. But grace empowers you to say no to ungodliness. Grace empowers you to say no to ungodly things, to temptations, to trials, to tribulations, to stuff that that you don't need to be a part of. Amen? So when you take this table today, I want you to take it in faith, in grace, that God himself examined you. And God himself examined Jesus. And you think of Jesus, he was examined by Herod. He was examined by all of them. He said, I could find no fault in him. Jesus was examined for you. And no fault was found in him. And then he said, now his spirit came to live in you forever when you are born again. The two have become one spirit. He says, your spirit is perfected forever. So if you're born again, spirit is perfected forever. You have been invited to partake of the Lord's table through his examination, not our own. Amen. I hope that blesses you because this is, this is a work of God's grace. This is the table of grace. Amen. So I'm going to pray and invite you guys to come forward. And when you do, just hold on to the elements. And then we'll pray, and bless them, and take it together as a family. But God, I thank you for this table that reminds us not what we've done, but reminds us what you did for us. Thank you, God. Thank you, God that you see me so differently than I see myself sometimes. And I pray, God, there be true repentance in my heart and our hearts and our minds that we would agree with heaven, we would agree with you of who we really are and then walk accordingly. God, we give you all the glory and honor and praise and we just take these elements right now and set them aside from common use to holy use. And remember, on the night that you were betrayed, you took bread and you broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And that same night after they had a, a supper meal, he took the cup and he poured it out for the disciples. And he said, this is the cup of the New Testament established in my blood. Drink this as often as you do in remembrance of me. And God, we honor this today, 2,000 plus years later. And we do this in remembrance of you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I want to invite you guys to come forward and receive from the Lord's table, the table of grace.